Hello all, and uh, welcome to this very first podcast for Behind the Wheel. Before I introduce my guest, let me explain a little bit about myself and the vision for Behind the Wheel. For those who know me, I used to be a rather large guy, pretty much obese, and what I thought at the time was a really, really dark place for myself. Aside from my many health woes, I also had a job I didn't really enjoy doing, and I wasn't really living in a, in a place of purpose, passion, and service. At the same time, though, for me personally, losing weight was a real gateway to changing my mindset, which has allowed me to finally be in a place where I get to do some really cool stuff for a living, and I'm in a much, much better place. With that in mind, though, I also absolutely love cars, and the drive to make them quicker, more luxurious, more smarter, more aerodynamic, with increasing amount of attention paid to workmanship and quality is of huge, huge concern to me, and I absolutely love following it. Through this podcast, you will hear from people who work with and who own some of, these most, some of the most amazing cars on the face of this earth. To hear how they got to where they are, that also allows them to work with cars that pushes the bounds of what is possible. To kickstart uh, this, this podcast off, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Sabra Ali onto the show. Uh, a few months ago, I came across this guy who had a real passion for cars and, of course, the belief that life is just way too short to go to work every day and not get real fulfillment and joy from what you do for a living. I'm absolutely delighted to announce that he's here with me today. Saba, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely pleasure to have you, man. Um, Saba is an experienced sales specialist, a determined advocate and ambassador for Alfa Romeo and Jeep vehicles, which we'll, which we'll all get into. And he has a huge passion for all things mental, for all things motoring, sales, social media, amateur photography, and of course, driving. I'll be speaking to speaking to him about his journey, his interests, but also delve into what it's, like, what it's like to go to work every single day and work with some of the most amazing brands that are currently out there in the car space, but also get to know what his advice, what his tips are for young people who are perhaps looking at trying to get into uh, the world of cars. So, but welcome, welcome to the podcast. I guess first question is, tell us your journey, man. Uh, where do I start? Um... <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, I started college. Uh, yeah. I went to QE in Leicester, um, where a lot, a lot of people live in Leicester went to. Yeah. Um, went there with a view to do medicine. Uh, my family very much wanted me to do medicine, um, become a doctor. Um, so quite the, quite the, so quite the, quite the traditional kind of, kind of setup then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a typical Asian uh, sort of mentality and, you know, medicine or nothing sort of thing or uh, some sort of highly qualified, academically qualified role. Um, but uh, I didn't get that, you, you know, the I didn't get the grades I needed to. Um, I had some sort of family issues at home, um, which basically meant that I couldn't afford to become a student. I couldn't afford to not earn money, so I needed to go go get a job. Um, I just got some basic jobs to start with, you know, warehouse work and um, small-time manufacturing work, just just basic jobs. Um, did that for a year or so, but um, I kind of soon realized that, you know, I'd have to have a lot of money behind me to be able to live and study at the same time. So I decided, let's get into a job I actually enjoy rather than something that's just a bit dead end. Um, so... I got into sales, not cars. Um, I just got into selling 
um, food subscriptions and charity subscriptions and things like that door to door, you know, knocking on people's doors and trying to pitch them something to buy. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously got bored of it very quickly in the winter. <laughs> the summer's great, yeah. but the winter is terrible. Yeah. Uh, so um, I started looking for, you know, my, my friends always said that I've always got a sort of encyclopedic car knowledge and uh, I'm always reading up on it and uh, sort of um, a talent gone to waste sort of thing. So I thought, okay, why not get into cards? Um, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't looking to sell cards straight away. I was, you know, I was looking just to get into a, a showroom, a car showroom or a dealership or something like that. So I was applying for parts assistance and, you know, uh, uh, valeting, um, you know, showroom hosting, you know, not just sales. So, and you had, and you had no experience with that whatsoever before you, before no. you started to apply for this. Wow. Okay. No, okay. not at all. Not at all. Absolutely no experience whatsoever. Um, so I decided to sort of just walk into showrooms and have my CV and stuff like that. Um, and you know, just, just put my face in front of people. Uh, so, um, and that's how I got, I got there, I suppose. And um, one day I went into Alfa Romeo in Leicester, handed in my CV, got an interview. Uh, it was like a team interview, one of, you know, 12 people, it was a group interview and you had to compete against each other and do a math yeah. test and English test and this, that, and that. Uh, I didn't get it. I got, I got, I came second apparently. Okay. Um, I got okay. beaten by a guy who, who actually had experience. Um, but I got very close and, um, you know, I was, I was gutted because I, I was, you know, prepping myself to work there. Um, and what was anyway, the role, sorry? I, I, yeah. Uh, What's the role? Sales executive. So, okay. Sales, sales okay. executive. Okay. Okay. So just selling cars. Didn't get it. Um, but I pursued them. I pursued the manager at the time and I said, look, you know, if you've got anything, uh, let me know. And he said no. So I called him a couple of weeks later and a couple of weeks later. Um, and he eventually turned and says, you know, I, I like your persistence. Um, I haven't got anything in Alpha, but how about Suzuki? Okay. So okay. I started out, um, got the job there in six, seven years ago. And, um, yeah, the, the rest is history, I suppose. So, yeah, I got to Suzuki, worked there for a year or two. But I always wanted Alpha. You know, Alpha was my baby and I wanted it. So, you know, I pushed and pushed and pushed. And after about a year and a half, I, I got moved over and pushed into Alpha May, which is part part of the same franchise at the time, the same company. So that's okay. why I got the switch. And just to, just to go back a few steps, I mean, um, so would, would I be right in thinking that you had to pursue employment as opposed to grades because of your own kind of personal situation. Is that, is that right? You, you're kind of forced to kind yeah, of go absolutely. down and make, and make money and, and start earning, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, there's the, the two things really you need to get into employment, uh, you know, easily, well, I say relatively easily, uh, is either grades or experience or both. Um, you know, if you've got neither, then your, your life can be very difficult. So you've all, you almost got to muscle your way in. Um, and really put, your, put yourself in front of people's faces to, to, to really show what you're about. Um, and it wasn't easy at all. You know, I must have handed out you know, 70, 75 CVs to different showrooms, car showrooms and car places and whatnot. Um, you, you know, so it was, it was a case of throwing more and more and more at it. And eventually I got lucky and got one, got one job. Wow, that's amazing. I have to ask, uh, what car do you own right now? Uh, so I've got an Alfa Romeo 4C Spider. Uh, wow. You might have seen it okay. on Instagram. I have, I've seen it. I've uh, seen it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so I've had that for about three years now. Okay. Okay. It's, it's so different to the usual kind of um, 
I suppose the 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 I say the usual uh, BMs and Mercs that you obviously see in Leicester, people are kind of flying around, which yeah. I know we will go into. Um, but I guess, I mean, before going into that, I mean, um, how, I mean, obviously you mentioned your life story and stuff and kind of reflecting on it and, and talking about it. What would you say kind of are the two or three key sort of reflections or lessons that you've learned um, that you think would, would be quite useful for others who are perhaps kind of in a, in a, in a similar place to you? In a similar position to I was, you know, you know, it's a lack of experience or, uh, you know, grades. Um, it's having a work ethic, you know, having a work ethic, working hard, not giving up, uh, try not to let it get you down, um, you know, and just be persistent, uh, absolutely persistent and have that work ethic. Um, there are, you know, it, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but if you maximise those different areas, then you, you can get them. Um, you know, a lot of people end up in sort of dead end jobs and feel a bit sorry for themselves and stuff like that. You know, you can get into a dead end job, that's fine, but don't get comfortable. You know, don't get comfortable and keep yeah. looking, keep looking. Uh, look for those opportunities, opportunities, be opportunistic. Um, and just, just, just have that drive. Um, if you don't have that drive, you won't get anywhere. You'll just end up being comfortable and just, and just sticking where you are for, for a number of years before you decide to actually make a change and make, you know, do something. Uh, but yeah, have that work ethic, have that drive, have that persistence, absolutely. I suppose for you, I mean, I guess I guess for you, there was a kind of real urgent, pressing, almost almost a, a, a make or break, right? In the sense that it was either you get you either get to work and start earning or things will get even more worse. I mean, was that like if you were to attribute that burning desire, that drive to to get to to get going, to get that job, was it, you know, was it was it born out of that that work ethic? Was it born out of just completely, you know, one hundred percent in need of it? And 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 how do you, if you've got someone who's not really in need, they're not that thirsty, you know, um, how do you suggest someone goes about creating that kind of thirst, creating that kind of sense of urgency? Because some people, as you said, they're they're in a job that they don't really enjoy doing, but they don't feel like they they don't feel, um, I suppose. Thirsty enough to, to actually go out and 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 be as as hard working as perhaps you were back then, you know. How would you kind of describe your your urgency? I mean, was it was it completely out of this this make or break kind of sort of situation? Yeah. So the, you know, back in college, I didn't have that drive. You know, I didn't have that enthusiasm or persistence or anything like that. I didn't have any of those attributes. It was more because I was forced into it that I had yeah, to make a change yeah. and. Um, you know, then with time that came along, uh, and when when more goals start getting added to you know, your uh, your needs, if you like, and you you want to do more and more and more, then that's when the work ethic comes into it. Um, it's quite commonplace nowadays where people don't have that drive because they're comfortable. You know, yeah. I didn't have that yeah. drive because I was I was living at home with my parents and they were paying for everything. Um, you know, and that's that's quite common for people in their twenties now. You know, even sometimes thirties where they're with their parents, you know, income sorted, their dinner's on the table, their laundry is done for them, you know, bills are paid and whatever they earn is sort of going in their back pocket sort of thing. And they might yeah. contribute towards, yeah. you know, towards the household. So there's no real need to upset that sort of life, if you like. You, you you're comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't need to go on there. And if you're happy with that, fine. But keep in the back of your mind that one day your parents won't be there. 
uh, well, your yeah. family won't be there and you've got to do it on your own. And you'll find the driven people are the ones that have now left home. You know, they've got families, they've, you know, they've got kids or whatever, and they're, now they're, they're, they're working for themselves. That's when the drive comes in for a lot of people, I'm not saying everyone. Uh, there are quite a few, I know people that are driven who still live at home. Uh, and they're still driven because they want to set their lives up for when they move out. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's a different approach. So, yeah, there's no, there's no quick and easy answer to that question. But work ethic, you know, generally comes because you want something, because there's a goal, there's something you want to achieve, and it's quite tangible. It's not just I want to be successful, I want to have money, I want to have the, you know, it's not general stuff. It's things like you want to be earning so much per year, you want to be able to buy something, maybe a house, maybe a car. Um, you want to have financial security, you want to be able to get yourself a mortgage, or you might be able to, you know, you, want to, you might want to go on a particular holiday, something like that. You know, you've got a tangible goal that you want to work towards. Um, and that was what will create your drive. You know, no one's going to be driven for no reason. You know, there's, yeah. there's always some sort yeah. of reason or goal behind it. So it's finding that goal, finding that sort of motivation that you want to do, you want to do this. Um, everybody has different motivation. Um, yeah, I mean, for us at the moment, it's competition. And um, you know that that's our biggest drive at the moment in our business um, is being amongst the best students in the country. Um, so that's that's our own separate sort of challenge that we're going from there. But yeah, I think having having those clear set goals, what you want to do, or setting yourself up for the future is a big one. Um, just have that, then I'll give you the drive. I suppose, I guess, I guess also what's what's quite important is being clear on the why. You know, why why those goals are so important to you. I think mm-hmm. often people kind of want to people want to have more money um, so they can. So they can show off or they can uh, they can rub it in their parents face or they can. I think it's it, it's I think I mean, for me, my my personal experience was, you know, the, the reason I lost the weight that I did was because it was crystal clear to me that if I keep going down, down this trajectory, the kids I'm going to have, I won't have any chance of being able to look after them, to play football with them, to be able to, you know, be fit for them. And also there was a feeling of, you know, um, am I going to be around for my kids? You know, and, and that was kind of, that, that was my big why. And that's what kind of sort of got me out of bed every morning to go for my daily runs and whatever else. And I think, I think it's so important for people to have that clear why behind what they, you know, behind what they're trying to achieve. I mean, just, just, would you be able to kind of say what the one or two kind of defining moments were for you that kind of made you perhaps become a little bit more, hardworking, a bit more focused? Was there kind of one or two moments or was it the combination of, of a variety of things? A um, couple of things. I think one is um, being launched at the deep end when I start earning money for the household. Um, you know, you know, it's either earn money or we end up on the street sort of thing. Um, second how old, one was when I How old were you, sorry, when that happened? Uh, I was 17 at the time. Wow. Just, 17. just turning 18, yeah. That is unbelievable. My God. Wow. Yeah, okay. So, uh, as, as soon as exams were over in QE, uh, went straight to trial, got a job. So this was almost the first thing I did. Wow. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I actually worked part-time. And then uh, I was part-time doing a foundation year at college, Leicester College, to get into medicine. <laughs> so I was still half pursuing it, just, uh, wow. just on a, a lighter basis. Um, and then the second defining moment was um, my change of role. So I worked at Leicester Alpha, uh, then moved to uh, an Alpha showroom in Nuneaton, which is a complete separate business. Now, they have no association with each other, so apart from the brands they represent, so they're completely different companies. 
uh, I went to Eton, but I wasn't just sales as such. I was sort of almost like co-running the showroom. So I was responsible for, you know, looking for cars to buy, to sell, ma- managing the showroom, managing customers, managing the forecourt, um, you know, along with uh, one of my colleagues. So we're sort of both co-running the, the business. And we have no uh, we have no managers on top of us or anything like that. You, you know, it's just us and the owner, the owner of the garage. Um, so, so we had a lot of responsibility. So that was, it was almost being like thrown into the event again. You know, all of a sudden, oh, mm-hmm. I, I'm responsible now for the success of this business. Um, you know, if I don't step up, then, you know, we could suffer. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the business is, is very small. But if we have two or three bad months, uh, it really hurts our ability to invest into you know, getting more, buying more cars in and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and investing into the sharing. So it, it, it was imperative that we were successful month in, month out. I think one thing I'm quite keen to do is I want to try and challenge some of the more kind of popular misconceptions about, you know, what success means. I think, I think often as you've been through, you know, um, success means getting a nine to five, getting a stable job, going into dentistry or pharmacy or law or whatever else. And uh, for those who have no interest in that area, there's quite a lot of pressure from parents to go into those areas. and it's sometimes at the sacrifice of the person themselves and what they really enjoy doing. Um, and I suppose as someone who is perhaps doing something that is not the traditional kind of, you know, dentistry, pharmacy sort of thing, and you're doing so well at it as well, what, what advice would you have for young people who are perhaps going through that situation, having, having been through it yourself? Difficult one. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard not to be rebellious at times. Um, but, you know, when you, you know, if you have a debate with your parents, it's always best to go in with facts and figures rather than uh, sort of wants and wishes. Um, yeah. You know, if you, can, if you can give a properly solid argument, the only way your parents will react is uh, with a temper. Uh, so, yeah. uh, you know, but you've won the argument um, and, and you've got to keep, it's a bit like, getting a job you know if you hand your cv cv you know the more and more you do it the more successful you like to be you've got to do the same with your parents you can't just say one thing and that's it and head to the best you, you've got to keep keep building them. um if it's not something you wish to do uh, you know then you you've sort of got to say to your parents look i'm not happy it doesn't make me happy um but most of all don't hide it from them a lot of a lot of people who are young will hide from their parents and yeah. you know they'll end up not doing very well um, and it was the one day where they found out, and it's just not a very good time. So it's, it's always, you know, communication is massive. You know, be communicative. Um, it's really, really important. And uh, you know, just keep them, you know, if you want to do something, you've got to prove to them that it's going to, you're going to be successful. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can't, your life's going to be very difficult. Um, you know, you know it's, a, it's a properly difficult situation when your parents don't agree with what you want to do with your future career because, it, you know, in respect, they have got your best interests at heart. Um, yeah. You know, they want you yeah. to do well. They want you to have what they, they've not had. Um, you know, but they are from a generation, even the English, you know, even if you're a second gen, um, they still have old-fashioned sort of thoughts, you know, where... You're only successful if you're employed as a dentist, engineer, you know, surgeon, doctor, whatever, a, a qualified role. But it's not true. You know, the rich people in the world are not qualified doctors, surgeons. You know, they're not. They're business people. They're entrepreneurs. They're people who yeah. have 
um, created a service that people want. Um, you know, there's different things there. Uh, but also, I think the reason why they push the draw is because it's it's very risk free. You know, if you become a dentist, you're yeah. guaranteed to have a job all, yeah. all for the rest of your life. A doctor, you can have a job for the rest of your life. Optician, you know, they're very very safe roles. Um, yeah. Whereas being an entrepreneur isn't. You know, it's risky. Sales is risky. Uh, being a you know offering a service to people is risky. Offering a business is risky. Um, so whilst the rewards can be massive, the you know companies should follow if you don't do it right. So you've got to be careful. It's a, it's a difficult balance to get right. But I'd say always communicate with your parents. Let them know what you're doing. Um, you know, and explain to them in, in a way that they understand. I think it's such a good point about you know parents want the best for you, and they they um, they want you to get a job that is going to be safe and that will pay you regularly, and that is you know and and in their mind is perhaps the best option for you. I think it's so important to be empathetic towards that. I think often kids can be quite, um, as you said, kind of, uh, you know, argumentative and not really empathizing with the fact that what their parents want is their best interest at heart. But it's about communicating in a way that is open-minded and that is actually quite, quite, uh, quite, quite open and, and, and quite persistent as well uh, without being rebellious, as you said. Um, so let's talk cars, man. Uh, what what is the typical kind of how would you describe the typical Alfa Romeo buyer? What do they look like? Uh, oh, um, changing. They're, they're changing. You know, ten years ago, it was just old people. It was just old people about Alfa. Really? Um, yeah, because uh, Alfa Romeo, their heyday was in the sixties and seventies, where they were the top of the table. You know, they're in Formula One. They're making the best cars on the planet. Um, you know, they're very closely associated with Ferrari. Um, so the people who, who remember those days of the, of the where they are, but still are very much today. Uh, we don't have that many people sort of in their forties because what they remember is the bad period in the nineties, where not just our, all the Italian brands had major reliability issues or you know and rust issues and things like that. Um, it wasn't actually the fault of the manufacturer. The the steel, for example, was imported from Russia. So you'll find Lancia, Alfa, Chrysler, not Chrysler, um, um, even Lamborghini had issues. Ferrari didn't because they used aluminium uh, at the time and carbon fiber. So they, they had a bad period where they made, didn't make very good cars. The engines were fantastic. They still drove amazing. They just didn't last very long. So they, they got this stigma where they were just a bit rubbish. So you know, Alfa have spent the last 20, 30 years trying to rebuild their sort of reputation. Yeah. Uh, a lot more varied you know with the press you know the motoring journalists and stuff like that pretty much love alpha um you know they've they just won an award yesterday actually um the alfa romeo tonali concept which is going to be released end of this year or early next year has just won the the award for the best design uh, best oh, wow. design, uh which is massive you know the car doesn't even exist yet um it's a concept images and it's won that international award so it's beaten all of this you know every part of the competition for design um so today, the Alfa Romeo buyer is very, very, we're getting a lot of young, lot more younger people um, and aspirational people. We're getting a lot of German drivers, you know, German car drivers coming in now looking to swap to Alfa. So Alfa is now starting to make cars that are very much now world-class cars. So that, you know, they, they, they can compete with the Germans, the Brits, the Japanese uh, in various segments. So uh, it's a lot more varied now. Uh, typically male-dominated, as they're 90% male. 
uh, 10% female. But of the 10% female, they're, they're driving enthusiasts. They love their cars. It's very yeah. unusual yeah. Uh, to find a girl that likes a car. But I'd say the 10% of girls who buy Alphas love, love their cars and they like them. I mean, if we just touch on Alpha Romeo branding, I mean, um, you know, are you able to say, you know, um, does does the brand try to actively position itself towards a particular type of person? I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, um, the likes of, of, of Mercedes or try to maybe target the more kind of luxurious buyer, whereas, you know, a brand like, uh, Lexus might go for your uh, your your person who wants to buy luxury, but is not really too sure about the budget. Are you able to kind of just elaborate on what what Alpha tries to target? Yeah, so uh, Alpha is all about car enthusiasts. They want car people. People love cars. Talk about cars day in day out. They love driving. They like maybe perhaps doing track days. You know, they're good drivers. They, they appreciate beauty, design, engineering, um, you know, people who, you know, not just, not just facts and figures, not just top trumps, but actually engineering work. What's gone into that car? You know, why is it the best? Things like that. People actually know about cars and, uh, and the engineering behind it rather than just a superficial facts and figures. Um, so yes, Alpha's a very, very much a car enthusiast brand. It's an emotional brand. So Alpha, what what they lead on is how they the enjoyment factor, how much you love your car. Uh, Alfa Romeo people love their cars. They, they as in they'll, they'll spend Sunday afternoon cleaning their cars because you know it becomes an attachment, becomes an extension of themselves. Yeah. Um, and the Alfa, you know, people say that you should always have an Alfa at least once a month to see what they're about. I've heard that before. I've heard that before. They, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they are very different. They're completely different to the other brands. They, you know, the engineering is, is completely on a different school of thought than, than the others. So they, uh, Alpha, there's tagline, Meccanica Delle Emozioni, which basically means the mechanics of emotion. Um, they, they want you to buy their cars with your heart, whereas other brands, you know, potentially, you know, they want you to buy the car with either head. You know, that's yeah. why they, they the logic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the logical people. And, that's why the Germans hate Alpha. They hate Ferrari. They hate Alpha because we play on people's emotions. And you don't buy a car. You know, if you're an emotional person, you're more likely to go for an exotic car like an Alpha, like a Jaguar, like a Ferrari or something like that because you're emotionally attached to it. Whereas it's not, it's not a logical decision at all. That's so interesting. I mean, I think they, um, you know, they... They often say that a car is often an extension of who you are as a person. I think I think mm-hmm. you know the the choice of brand you go for when you buy a car is so so important. I mean, if I'm not, I know we spoke a while ago, or I think it was last week, I think about um, about how Alfa Romeo tried to make you feel when you're driving the car. Do you want to just elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So, you for example, if you go back. Um, to the mid 2000s, 2005, the 147 GTA. Um, it was a 3.2 litre V6 in a, in a hatchback. You know, back then, <laughs> everything was like two, it was, it was, you know, two litres, that's what everyone had. Alpha decided, money no object, let's just shove a massive V6 into it. It sounded <laughs> amazing. It, it, you know, it wasn't, you know, it didn't handle very well. It, you know, it didn't look particularly good. 
uh, there's several videos on YouTube of people just having the time of their life driving one on a, on a country lane or a B road or a mountain road because this car just sounds phenomenal. It absolutely sings. The, the, you know, the, 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 the car just feels great. The chassis feels great. Um, uh, you know, and it just, it's just a lovely experience. And that's what they're selling the car on. Um, you know, they're just they're just joyous to drive. Even the new Julia, that you know, the Julia is our best seller. It's our four door saloon. It's our equivalent, if you like, to the three series of C Class, the A4, yeah. the Jaguar XC. But the Alpha's unique selling point is the way you know it's got fifty fifty weight distribution. It doesn't understeer. It doesn't oversteer. It's sat phenomenal. It's got you know a stacked exhaust system with butterfly valves that just makes the most amazing sound. Um, you know, it's got active downforce, so it never feels scary at any point. You do 100 miles an hour because the car's got active downforce on the car. It's got a moving front splitter, which basically adapts to the car's speed to create downforce over the front end. So the idea is you you never have lack of confidence going around a corner. You never have to worry, oh, is it going to spin out if I swerve now? And you can swerve those cars at 100 miles an hour and they'll be fine, they'll stick. Um, so, just, you know, when you're confident, the more confident you are, the faster you are. Um, because yeah. you you know you don't feel like you're taking any particular risk. Um, if anyone is into Formula One, uh, you'll often hear drivers complaining about the balance of the car. Now, the balance of the car basically means there's too too much weight over the front, too much weight over the back, or the brake bias is wrong. And what it means is is that the car's unpredictable when you go around a corner. And when they're unpredictable, you err on the side of caution, so therefore mm-hmm. it's slower. Mm-hmm. If the car's balance is perfect and the brake bias is perfect, you're confident in the car, you can go faster. And that's why the Alfa Romeo Julia set the world record at the Nürburgring, uh, world's fastest link up, four door And this, this is the new Julia? Yeah. Okay, okay. It's, um, I'm watching this, uh, this, this F1 uh, documentary, uh, well, documentary series on, on Netflix right now. It is yeah. phenomenal. I'm not, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but um, it, it, it goes into the, the politics behind um, each kind of each team, but also the relationship between the car and the driver and just how important that is. Yeah. And, and as you said, you know, the more confident you feel about the car, the faster you can go. But often there's a kind of battle between, you know, the, the, the mechanics or, the, or, the, or the, the guys working on the car, you know, not pulling there on the bargain versus the driver, maybe not pushing it as fast as, as fast as they possibly can go and it's such an interesting, interesting yeah. series um i mean so and then obviously you so do you do you still work with jeep as well i do okay okay so let's go to jeep i mean um how would you kind of um how would you describe the 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 the, the jeep brand so jeep is all about adventure um, the the Jeep story is full of heritage. There's a lot of the you know background to Jeep. Um, they make cars for people who are outgoing, want to go on adventure, a bit more freer thinking. Um, you know, it's all about the great outdoors, camping, you know, uh, going canoeing, all that kind of stuff. That, that's what Jeep is. Uh, Jeep is an adventure brand. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to meet one of the designers for Jeep, and and he was one of those guys who just believed in freedom. Um, and that's one of their one of the um, they have like four brand values, and one of those is freedom. Um, you know, if you have a Jeep, you're free, and you can. And the, the tagline they had was "Go anywhere and do anything." And that's what a Jeep enables you to do. Um, and Jeep people as well, they have no interest in what other any other car manufacturer is doing. They do their own thing. Uh, they don't copy anyone at all. They you know they make their own engines, their own chassis. Um, they, they they're very much about being the best at 
allowing people to fulfill their adventures and and that's what they are they're very much they're also an emotional brand people buy them because they love them and you know the jeep customers we've had they they just swear by the brand they'll never ever ever leave them um you know even if jeep all of a sudden start making bad cars they'll still buy them because they just love the brand so much and what, what it stands for um and uh, you can tell when the engineers talk and stuff like that they love the cars they, you know they, they they they're very proud of their work and uh, that's all they can talk about and uh, you know it's like talking about their babies how passionate they are about them. <laughs> and um you know jeep they're always about better class capability uh unique looks they all look you know you'll never see another car that looks like a jeep the jeep's instantly recognizable uh they all have they all have the famous seven slot grill they all have the famous square wheel arches the four-wheel drive systems are, are world-class um it's a very very emotional brand and uh one i'm quite proud of as well and you know i, I know for a fact if i jumped into a uh around the rubicon uh the rubicon is like the ultimate off-roader you nothing would be able to get past in that car and it's got mud terrain tires locking differentials disconnectable sway bars um yeah, it's got best in class breakover angles and approach angles is phenomenal um and i i urge anyone if you can ever drive a deep wrangler um you know don't do it because it's just a phenomenal experience even even on road they're, they're so different to drive yeah, uh, yeah and they're powerful you know a 280 horsepower so they're properly quick cars and they're, they're wow loads of fun. They're lots and lots of fun you you mentioned the adventure behind the brand i mean how would you um how would you describe like how is that sort of translated in some of the actual kind of practical features of a typical jeep so for example uh, a Wrangler Rubicon's got a removable roof, so you can take the roof off. Uh, you can take the doors off, mm-hmm. and you can fold the windscreen down. You oh, wow. Into, uh, but yeah, it's a buggy, if you like. No um, way. Weird cars. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my so we God. Call it a Lego. Yeah. <laughs> so we call it Lego unreal. Yeah, so you can take everything off. Um, the interior is waterproof. So, you know, if, if the you take the roof off, you get stuck in a storm. Yeah, so you can hose it down. You can hose all the Oh, my down. God. And yeah, <laughs> and in the floor are little pl- uh, little holes that you can basically fill up plugs, so you can take the plugs out, and that allows the water to drain. Uh, but all oh. the carpeting, all the uh, the sat nav system, all the electronics are clad in rubber, so they're sealed rubber around them, so they won't get wet. And the idea is that you can go, you can drive the car in the rain with the roof and doors off, and get wet, and that's fine. Being on a motorbike. <laughs> uh, yeah, the that's what I mean. You know, it, it, it's fantastic. Um, it's got something called auxiliary ports, which basically means you can plug in. It's got it's got 240 volt socket, so you can put a fridge in. You can put in a microwave, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know, a washing machine, if you like. You can plug in anything to the car and it'll work. Uh, that's the idea. So you can go camping and you can still have all your, uh, you can still have your laptop charger with you. You can still have a microwave with you. You can take anything with you. And uh, and it's fine. It will work. Um, it's, it's a brilliant bit of kit. Um, they have a load of fun. That sounds so crazy. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. I mean, I, no I, other car can do that. That is that is. Um, I mean, yeah. I guess I guess I can see exactly why Adventures is the is the tagline there. I mean, that 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 is so interesting. Um, just just get back to Alfa Romeo. How how would you describe the drive of of, of an Alfa Romeo? Difficult one. Um, in summary, better than anything else in this class. Um, you know, the give you an example. So the the steering ratio is the tightest in this class. So it's, it's the turning circle is ten point three meters in a Julia. 
So to put that in perspective, at least it was in 12 and a half meters. So it's it's 20 percent worse uh, in terms of direct steering. So when you when you just make a little adjustment to the steering wheel, Julia is all, all of a sudden moving, whereas you have to put more in, input into another car. So what that means is, is that you, the car feels very direct because you know it feels very in tune with what you want. So as soon as you make a movement, the car makes a movement. There's no slack. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very very quick. Um, the uh, the weight distribution, as I mentioned, is 50-50 weight distribution. So the engine is set back. A lot of the cars are about aluminium, carbon fiber, um, you know, high high tensile steel. So the car is very light. So you know, when you have a lighter car, it means that the car is much much quicker in change of direction. It's almost cat-like uh, in how quick it, it can change. The acceleration is brutal. Um, so it's the highest in class power, so 510 horsepower. Um, so it it does not 60 in 3.9 seconds. The top speed is 191 miles an hour, uh, wow. which is the second fastest uh, top speed after the Bentley Continental Flying Spur. Oh, Continental Speed is what they call it. So um, it, it's just it's it's a it's a surreal experience because you get the engine noise, you get the exhaust noise. The car's very quick to steering. It's got brutal acceleration. Um, the seats are at least got bucket seats and standards, so it's very, very snug to, to, to go in. So it feels, you feel very, very low. You sit on the floor as well, so you sit very low in the car. Um, mm-hmm. And when you sit low in the car, you're 70, your central gravity is low. Yeah. So when you swerve around the corner, you're not being thrown about, you're actually being certainly glued into the car. Yeah. Uh, and again, gives you more confidence to change direction. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very surreal experience. Um, but um, it's it's one I have to just say. All you can do is try just to see what it's like, and you'll see what I mean. Um, it's very different to drive. The way it compares to you know our biggest rival is the BMW M3 and the C63 AMG. Mm-hmm. AMG, yeah. Um, yeah. So compared to the BMW, the BMW is very close in terms of handling. The M, M has always been good at you know making work very well handling cars. Where it falls apart is it's got a very hard suspension. It's got 20-inch wheels, low-profile tyre, hard seat, but it's very, very bumpy. And when cars are bumpy, if you're going over a rough road, you have times where you lose contact. Your tyres lose contact with the road because it's being lifted off the ground. Um, so that makes it slow around corners. Um, so you don't have the confidence. You don't have as much confidence in a three mm-hmm. series than you do in a Julia. Also, it's 60 or 70 horsepower down in power. So in a straight line, it's straight line, it's nowhere near yeah. as quick. Uh, Julia just leaves it for us. Mercedes, uh, people love it V8. Twin turbo, four liter V8, uh, you know, 490 horsepower or 503 in, in S form. Uh, but it's a heavy motor. So, you know, for eight cylinders, two turbos, it's very, very heavy over the front end. So that's why you'll see on top gear, Clarkson's always drifting around. And the reason why they're so mm-hmm. happy and drifty is there's so much weight over the front, there's no weight over the back. So the back just lets go, just lets go all the time. So, you know, you go anywhere near the throttle, if it's anything other than a bone dry summer's day, the back ends out, you know, you're fighting the car, trying to, trying to, you know, control the steering. And that's not confidence inspiring. If you're on a motorway, someone's on a brake, you need to swerve out the way, you've got no confidence in it because you're worried the car's going to spin on you. Um, so that's the, that's the difference. The Julia is a perfect compromise. It's a six cylinder, but it's still the most powerful. It's 510 horsepower, but it's light. The car's light, so it's very, very quick to turn, very quick to accelerate. It's got active downforce as well, as I mentioned. So the faster you go, the more stable it feels because the downforce just gets greater and greater and greater the faster you go. Um, and it's got real downforce. That, that's the crucial difference is that the Julia has that real downforce, whereas the BMW and the Mercedes don't. 
they've got they haven't got any downforce but they've got something called negative lift so it stops the mm-hmm. car lifting uh, the faster you go but there's a reason why they're limited to 155 miles an hour um and it's because uh, mercedes bmw and audi have this agreement where they limit the cars because if you allow them to go any faster uh, you've got to develop suspension to cope with the speed, you've got to develop brakes to cope with the speed, the tyres oh. to cope with the speed. Uh, you know, they, you, they, that's why they limit them. And to, you can engineer a car to cope with that level of speed and that force, but it's expensive. So the Germans agreed with each other that all of their cars, and if you look at all the stats for any it's German true. brand it's car, so, yeah, yeah, 155. Yeah, and that's yeah. why the Alpha can do 191. The, the Alpha has been engineered to cope with those levels of pressure and that level of uh, G-force in the tyres, for example, the wheels, the alloys. Um, there's a lot of force going on there, and the car's got to be able to stop. You've got to be able to slam on the brakes at 100 miles an hour, and the car's got to be able to deal with it. Um, and that's why they've limited their cars, um, just because they don't want to spend the money on the engineering and re- research and development to create a car that can cope with it. So that's why they're all limited. Uh, whereas the Alpha have no such agreement, and that's why, and that's testament to the engineering that's gone into the car because it's designed to cope with doing just under 200 miles an hour. And the, the way I, I sort of compare it is like having a watch. You know, a lot of watches. You know, if you buy a Seamaster, Rolex, or something like that, it can go down to 70x meters down in the ocean yeah. and still be fine. You know, you're never going to do it, but the fact that the watch is engineered to be able to withstand yeah. that sort of pressure is like the Alpha. You've got now got the confidence in the, in, in the product. How and that's what that's what makes Alpha different. How, how does it compare to, say, an Audi with its uh, traditional kind of four-wheel drive? I mean, um, is there kind of, I mean, is, is, the, is the Julia four-wheel drive, is that 50-50 split? So the Julia is, the Julia is rear-wheel drive. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's, say, so the, the C-Class, the 3 Series, and the Julia all rear-wheel drive. The yeah. A4, the RS4, I should say, uh, is four-wheel drive. But the RS4 is only available as an estate. It's not available as a saloon car. Um, so the saloons okay. in this okay. are all rear wheel drive um, but it's still got a locking differential limited slip differential so the so what that does it controls the rear wheel slip so it locks the rear wheels together so you're not getting one tyre spinning and yep. the other tyre not doing anything uh, again gives you more confidence on the track interesting I mean I, I guess yeah I mean I guess I guess people will some people I hope will be on the market uh, for most likely a German kind of car and um, I'm hoping that maybe we can try and convince them to look look yeah. towards the Italians <laughs> for for some other options potentially. Um, Absolutely, yeah. What would um what would be your um I suppose when going back to kind of your 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 story again um you know it, it, it seems pretty apparent that um you've obviously got a real big interest in cars. Where where does that kind of where, where does that kind of kick off? Like how 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 did it start? Uh, as a child, I guess. Um, you know, the, uh, to tell to be fair. Um, you, you know, you had a generic Japanese sort of, you know, you know, uh, Toyota Carinas and uh, Vauxhall Carltons and Toyota Previas, really interesting. Um, I suppose I started with Formula One. So Formula One, I started watching from a young age, like three or four years old. And really, I, I got okay. into it straight away. Yeah, I absolutely loved watching it. Um, so that that sort of stemmed into cars, and then uh, you know I always like playing with cars. So you know, you know, pressing all the buttons and playing with it and all that kind of stuff. Always like model cars. My dad always bought me model cars and remote control cars and stuff like that. So um, I suppose I got got into it from that point from a very very young age. Um, 
and uh, yeah, it just developed over the years, and uh, that was it really. Um, when I was young, I wanted to get into, I wanted to be a Formula One driver. That was my dream job. Really? Um, oh my god! Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, but uh, my dream, my dreams got shattered uh, when I was six or seven because um, I wanted to get. You have to, to get into Formula One. You have to go into karting. Uh, yeah, so I tried to yep. go, get into karting, and um, there's a weight limit for karting. <laughs> oh no! Uh, and I didn't meet it. Yeah, yeah, so I was too heavy for the kart. Um, but also, there's not just a weight limit; there's a height limit as well. So. Um, I'm six foot two, and the maximum you can be as a Formula One driver is six foot. Can't can't oh, be. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, because of the, just the way the Formula One cars are shaped, they've got to be a certain length and width, and they can't make the cockpit longer. They just can't do it. So the maximum height is six foot. Um, so I was too heavy and too tall. <laughs> too fancy at all. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's not something I could pursue. Um, F1 drivers and racing drivers are a bit like jockeys. You know, on a horse, the smaller you are, the lighter you are, the better it is. The better it is. Mm. Um, mm. Wow, that's crazy. Did you ever think, like back when you were, I suppose, I suppose when you were even at college, did you ever think that you would be in the position you're in right now? No, not at all. Uh, you know, if you told me where I was, I mean, today, like you, you're crazy. Um, you know, I fully expected to be uh, sort of a. I don't know. You, you know, yeah, I was expected to be a doctor, but um, you know, obviously, you don't you don't, you don't realize it's, it's as hard as you, you know, as you as you think that you get there, and you've got to you know you've got to have the intelligence or you know or the grades and stuff like that to, to really get into the job. So, you know, you, you underestimate it in a way. Um, so yeah, but no, I didn't expect it at all, not at all. But I'm, I'm very grateful. You know, I'm very grateful. I was very lucky uh, to be in that position, and you know, I, I wouldn't take it for granted at all. I guess, um, I guess, finally, then, I have to ask this, and, and I'm, I think I'm going to make this a trend for other other guests. Is uh, what's your dream card? Why? Um, <laughs> the shop is going to be an alpha. Surprise! Surprise! Yeah, it, it's it's not going to be one that any, anyone knows. It's going to be an Alfa Romeo TZ2 Zagato, which is a special one-off. Well, they made three of them, I think, you know, 10 years ago. And it's, it's just, uh, Zagato is like a very famous Italian design house. Um, and they've made some beautiful cars in the past. They made a, they, they teamed up with Alfa to make a special set of, yeah, I think, I think it was like 10 or 15 cars, but like the value of that was seven million pounds each. Um, so that's wow. A, that's a uh, my, more, my more ordinary... Dream car be a Ferrari 812 Superfast. Uh, that's probably, you know, I've a lot of time for that car. A lot, a lot of areas like that as well. It's not just a fast Ferrari. There's so much engineering that's gone into that car. That's it's incredible. Um, so, so I think Ferrari are coming up with some amazing cars nowadays, I have to say. Um, uh, you know, I do like Lamborghini as well, but Lamborghini, they, they've had two models or three models in the range for a long time now. So the Aventador's been out for about 10 years. Um, the Huracan's been out for about eight years, so they're, they're getting a bit long in the tooth now. Um, and, and you can't escape that Audi-ness. You know, the, the, there is Audi presence in the car. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and you know, the infotainment systems, the, the, the controls and the switch gear. It's all Audi. It's Audi, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's Audi and Volkswagen, and um, that, that puts me off a little bit. Uh, you know, part, part of the appeal for Alfa, for Ferrari, Pagani, Maserati is the exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not many people have them. They're they're individual. They're they're bespoke. Um, you know, they're they're very well engineered and not parts bin cars. You know, they're not cars where you have bits you know taken from other cars and stuff like that. They're all independent. 
and uh, I like that's what appeals to those cars to me. So uh, yeah, Ferrari eight twelve Superfaster and Alfa T's and Tubes Legato. Google it because it's a very very good looking car. That is that is amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Honestly, Sabit, I thank you so much for hopping onto my first podcast. Honestly, it is so amazing You're to welcome. be speaking to you. And I really hope that uh, for some people out there who are, you know, in a job where they don't really enjoy it so much um, and they want to try and move on, what what I'm hoping is that your story will kind of inspire them uh, to some degree to kind of help them believe that it's possible, believe that it's possible to actually um, do what you really enjoy doing, go to work every day with a passion, with a service, with a with a with a with a purpose, and and not feel like it's all about your typical nine to five, you know. Um, I'm a big believer in that it is possible to live a life where your work and your passions are fully aligned. And um, you're obviously a very clear testament to that. So thank you so much for coming on. I do appreciate it. And um, yeah, hopefully, uh, thank you so much, man. Take it easy, bro. Thank you. Thank you. See you later. Thank you.